I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Today we continue the sermon series from Mark's Gospel entitled, Encountering Jesus. And in past weeks, we have encountered Jesus as good news, as divine, and as storyteller. Today, we encounter Jesus as revolutionary. From the moment Jesus launched the kingdom of God in A.D. 30, he was violently opposed by Satan's kingdom of this world. And nothing much has changed since then. The kingdom of God is still profoundly countercultural. Jesus offended almost all the powerful people of his country. He offended most of the Jews because he disagreed with their racist attitudes toward the Gentiles. He offended the Romans because he would not worship Caesar. But his most explosive conflict was with the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. Jesus' primary criticism of them was that they were hypocrites. So our message today is entitled, Jesus versus Hypocrisy. The scripture lesson for the morning is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 5 through 23. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban that is, devoted to God. Then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. 
all of these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. A lady from Dubuque, Iowa wrote to the late, renowned advice columnist, Ann Landers. Dear Ann, my neighbor considers herself a born-again Christian, yet I know for certain that she cheats on her husband. What do you have to say about this? Ann replied, I would say that she's a born-again Christian with birth defects, Most people would call that neighbor from Dubuque a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is trying to deceive other people about your level of righteousness or faith. It's to live a lie, to be a pretender. And never was there a greater enemy of hypocrisy than Jesus Christ. The worst hypocrites, according to Jesus, were the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. Though Jesus was almost always gentle with prostitutes and thieves and other notorious sinners, oh, he was hard on the Pharisees. Jesus deplored their pride and self-righteousness. Often before wealthy Pharisees made contributions to God at the temple, they would send their servants ahead to blow trumpets to attract people. They wanted an audience revealing that they were hypocrites. They were pretending to show their generosity and love for God. But in reality, they were showmen out for public applause. Jesus also indicted them for lack of compassion. One day, on one Sabbath day, he healed a crippled woman, been crippled for 18 years. And they jumped all over him about that. Because it was the Sabbath day. You weren't supposed to do any work on a Sabbath day. Jesus lambasted them, and I'm going, to, I'm going to put his words into 21st century language. Jesus said to them, I can't believe you guys. You let your donkey out of its stall on the Sabbath day to get water, but you don't want to release this poor woman who's been crippled for 18 years. Just because it happens to be the Sabbath day, what kind of people are you? You care more about your donkey than you do this poor crippled woman. Jesus indicted these Pharisees because they pretended to be something they were not. Sadly, hypocrisy is still with us, folks. And it is Satan's most potent weapon for fighting against the church. Uh, The confrontation in today's scripture started with a simple dispute about hand washing. Now, in our current COVID atmosphere, we can't hardly get enough hand washing. We're all for it. But this hand washing the Pharisees were doing had nothing to do with disease or, or even cleanliness. 
It was a ceremonial hand washing that was mandatory before each meal, according to their rules. It was just another one in their endless line of rules made by these obsessive rule makers. And Jesus immediately moved the focus from the hands to the heart. Jesus said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. And it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Uh, Jesus summarized the hypocrisy of these Pharisees by observing that they don't practice what they preach, which is an indictment that all of us preachers uh, tremble under. Jesus pointed uh, specifically to two expressions of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. First, their lips did not agree with their hearts. Their lips did not agree with their hearts, and that sin is still with us. The former secretary of education, Dr. Bill Bennett, recalls a time when he was on the faculty at the University of Wisconsin, and there were some professors there who held a seminar on advanced ethics, the advanced study of right and wrong. And during a break in the seminar, seminar uh, they found a drink machine in the building that was broken. They stole 20 cans of soda from that machine, never thinking about the delivery man who might have to pay for those missing drinks out of his own pocket. And then they went right back to that seminar to teach about the advanced ethics of right and wrong. And no matter what they taught, their actions had just undercut their words. The obsessive rulemaking of the Pharisees began when the Jewish people returned from captivity in Babylon some 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And the Jewish rabbis at that time began to invent meticulous rules and regulations to govern every phase of the people's lives. It reminds me of what some of our government agencies are trying to do to us today. In Jesus' time, all of these rules were in oral form only. But then about the year 200 A.D., the rabbis put them down in written form and it became known as the Mishnah, the Mishnah. I suspect that there are some obsessive rule makers still around today. For example, some years ago, the newspapers reported about a little first grade boy who kissed a little first grade girl in school. Don't know what got into the little fella. He just gave her a little peck on the cheek, and she seemed to like it. But a teacher saw it and reported him to the principal. The principal, in a fit of bad judgment, suspended the little fella for three days for sexual harassment. Now that's what happens when rule makers are not restrained by common sense. The Pharisees created rules that violated both scripture and common sense. And in Mark chapter 7, Jesus offers just one example of how the Pharisees made rules that violated scripture. They invented this practice called Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N. In Hebrew, it literally means offering. 
It was a sneaky way of avoiding the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Remember, in that day there was no social security. It was expected that when people got old, their children would support them. That was normal and expected. But some of these Pharisees, these selfish people, they loved their money more than they loved their parents. So they invented this thing called Corbin. Here's the way it worked. You could declare all of your estate and income to be Corbin, that is, dedicated to the temple. Now, you didn't have to actually donate it, and you could continue using it. But it was off limits for giving to anybody else. So when your parents came to you and said, we need your help, you could say, ah, I'd love to help you, Mom and Dad, but everything I've got is under Corbin. Jesus denounced that as a form of hypocrisy. Really, it was slicker, wasn't it, than any scheme an American might devise for hiding money from the IRS. Jesus denounced it as hypocrisy because those who were using it were lying to God about their true motives and were stealing from their elderly parents. The Pharisees also had a long list of foods that were forbidden. Jesus destroyed that list. He declared all foods to be clean. In response, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard simply because he often went to dinner with tax collectors and other sinners. There's nothing in the Bible to suggest he was a glutton or a drunkard. Jesus said, focus on the heart. Focus on the heart, not the hands or the stomach. Jesus said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. When Jesus talked about the heart, he was referring to the deepest and most controlling part of the mind. He was talking about a person's will, their deepest commitments. If God controls the heart, the stomach will take care of itself. Many Christians debate whether it's proper or not for Christians to drink alcoholic beverages. Some say no. Others point to the fact that Jesus actually drank wine. And on one occasion during a marriage feast, he miraculously produced it. And it was reported to be extremely high quality. Now, some of my friends in another denomination, I won't mention, but it's just a really large one. <laughs> they, they claim that uh, the wine that Jesus drank was non-alcoholic. Well, I can find no evidence in Scripture to support that. And as far as I know, Welch's grape juice was not even around at the time. The Bible clearly condemns drunkenness and the abuse of alcohol. And St. Paul taught us that we should never allow what we eat or drink to create a stumbling block for someone else. No Christian should serve alcohol or even drink alcohol with another person who has an alcohol problem. Beyond that, we would do 
well to be guided by St. Paul's rule. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. St. Paul summarized the matter well when he wrote, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's a matter of the heart. In view of Jesus' battle with the Pharisees over hypocrisy, we must ask, does the church still have a problem with hypocrisy? And the answer is yes, with an exclamation point. The temptation to fake a higher piety than we really have is very real. The businessman who prays before every staff meeting but then cheats his customers is a hypocrite. The pro-life activist who wears a Jesus loves you button but shouts hateful insults at women entering an abortion clinic is a hypocrite. I once knew a pastoral counselor, an ordained minister, who carried on an affair with one of his clients. He was a hypocrite. And in a former church of mine, there was a finance chairman who publicly urged everybody in the church to tie their income to the church, and I found out for certain he gave little or nothing to the church. He was a hypocrite. Yes, there's some hypocrisy in the church, and it does grieve us harm. Untold numbers of people have rejected Christ and the church because they have observed the hypocrisy of Christians. A prominent TV preacher disillusioned thousands of his supporters when it was revealed that he was carrying on immoral sex at a massage parlor. The great Indian leader, Gandhi, was powerfully attracted to Jesus Christ. But he suffered at the hands of some racist Christians in South Africa. And on that basis, rejected Christianity. Currently, many Americans are obsessed with race. And there's some hypocrisy in that. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave us a dream a vision of an America that considers differences in skin color as no more important than different accents. He pointed us toward an America where character triumphs over race. Americans, and especially we Southerners, needed Dr. King's vision. After all, we bore centuries of guilt over slavery and Jim Crow and discrimination. And Dr. King led us to the altar of repentance. And though we came reluctantly at first, you remember, we came. No true Christian wants to return to that past. Now, incredibly, some Americans think that the cure for racial discrimination is more discrimination. But if you believe that God loves all races equally, it is hypocritical to treat one race differently than another. 
Some people are so afraid of being called racist that they engage in pandering and virtue signaling. And that's hypocritical too. Racism of the past cannot be corrected by racism in the present. Dr. King's vision is just as relevant in 2021 as it was in 1968. In the words of Chief Justice Roberts, the way to stop racial discrimination is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. All Christians are sinners. When you think about it, the church is the only institution on earth that requires a public acknowledgement of sin as a condition for membership. You know, if we posted a sign on the doors of our church next Sunday, no sinners admitted, this would be one empty sanctuary and there would be no clergy here to lead us. All Christians are sinners. But thankfully, not all Christians are hypocrites. A hypocrite is one who pretends to be what he or she is not. Yes, the church has a problem with hypocrisy. But you're not a hypocrite just because you fail to achieve your aspirations. I mean, our aim ought to be higher than our reach. If we do not aim to be better Christians than we are, then we're in need of a spiritual faith lift. We could avoid much hypocrisy by paying closer attention to the Holy Word because the Bible speaks clearly on a lot of issues, including controversial ones. The Bible says, for example, that revenge is always wrong. The Bible says that if you're unwilling to forgive another person, God cannot forgive you. The Bible says that our bodies are God's holy temples and to abuse them by overeating, overworking, smoking, or a misuse of alcohol or drugs is plain wrong. Satan delights in using sex to turn Christians into hypocrites. Did you know that God invented safe sex? Yes, and has a patent on it. It's called marriage. And the Bible says that a little unborn baby inside a mother is never just a fetus. He or she is a work of God in progress. The great King David could have avoided so much heartache and grief if he had remembered the Ten Commandments, especially number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Because one evening he saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And the fact that both he and she were married didn't slow him down a bit. He had to have her. And so he took her. And then he immediately became a hypocrite because he tried to cover his sin. In fact, he had her husband killed so he could continue the affair. And then one day, old prophet Nathan pointed a long bony finger in his face and said, You are a sinner. And to David's everlasting credit, he did not have Nathan jailed or executed. He could have. There was no habeas corpus in those days. He was king. To David's everlasting credit, 
he confessed his sin. And the words of his confession are in Psalm 51. Now David was still a sinner, but no longer a hypocrite. He became a forgiven sinner. And the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Over the years in the ministry, and I've had a lot of years in the ministry, I've had church members confess to me almost every sin imaginable except murder and one other. I've had church members come to me and say, Brother Bill, I drink too much and I make a fool of myself when I do it. I've had them say to me, I have been unfaithful to my spouse and I'm so sorry. I've had them say to me, I've been a greedy old fool caring more about my money than anything else. But I've never had a church member come to me and say, Brother Bill, I'm just a plain old garden variety hypocrite pretending to be something I'm not. And you know something? If a hypocrite ever made that confession, he wouldn't be a hypocrite anymore. He would just be a plain old sinner like you and me. And if he dumped his sin at the foot of the cross, he would be a forgiven sinner. Thankfully, our salvation does not depend on our moral batting average, but on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There's an ancient Scottish legend about two brothers who were caught stealing sheep. And in, in old ancient Scotland, that was a serious charge. And in those days, justice was rather primitive. And so the penalty was they were both branded on their foreheads with the letters ST for sheep thief. One of the brothers could not stand the humiliation, so he left the country and never returned. But the other brother thought to himself, there's no use running from this. I'm guilty as charged. I'm going to stay here and see if I can rebuild my life. And so he confessed his sin, trusted in Christ as his Lord, and began to build a new reputation for integrity. Many years went by. And one day, a stranger came to the village. He noticed the man with the ST on his forehead. So he asked an old-timer, What's that about? What's that ST? And the old-timer said, It had something to do with something that happened a long time ago. I don't remember the details, but I know this man well. And I think that ST is an abbreviation for saint. God is in the business of making saints out of the most unlikely people. Even the vilest hypocrite who turns to Jesus Christ in humble confession and true faith can be transformed. And remember, according to the Bible, a saint is not someone who aces his morals test. A saint is just a forgiven sinner. Instead of advertising our own righteousness, we should say to people, I am not yet what I want to be, but thanks be to God, I'm not what I used to be. I'm still a work in progress. 
Jesus is not through with me yet. And then we should point to the only perfect person who ever lived. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And to him be the glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God. Please stop us if we start pretending to be something we're not. Give us such an assurance of your love that we will dare to be honest with you. And if we're honest with you, you will show us how to be honest with other people. Instead of advertising ourselves, turn us into signposts pointing to the only perfect one, Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners like us. In his name we pray. Amen.